Yeah, you, you can just edit it whatever you don't like. No. Okay, go ahead. Welcome to SightOfMoon.com, folks. My name is Joe Duman. I'm your host today. And I want to say we have a special guest, but knowing him, it makes it hard to say. So um, I am special, though. <laughs> I want to introduce That's my mom used to tell me. I want to introduce you to James Ralph. James has been doing our website now for getting on four five years. years. Five years. Five years? Close to five years. 2013. Well, it's a 17. Okay, so it's four. I can't count. So what else? He's not, He's not. you know, the mathematical <laughs> department is not his forte, but he's very good in the tech department. So he's been helping me out with the website for a long time. But I want to introduce you to him, and I want you to get to know him, because uh, James is the fellow that we sent to Africa last year. And, yeah, and uh, anybody who watched those videos will be able to know what I look like. Well, with the video, we didn't have any videos from Africa. Yes, you did. Or all the pictures I sent you. That was it. Pictures. So anyway. Yes, all the pictures. James is going to be doing some audio recordings with us, and he's going to be helping me out and sharing some of this information. Um, But I want to introduce you to him. I want you to get to know who he is. I want you to understand (laughs) his humor, I guess. What planner I'm from. (laughs) Yeah. So, James. Yes. Tell us. Joe. Tell them how you got to meet me, how we came to meet each other. First of all, let's start with the start there. How did we meet? How did you meet me? It was on a very romantic boat cruise <laughs> on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> yeah, but the video shows I'm the only one dancing. Yeah. <laughs> that just worked out perfect. Now, I, that was the actually, that was the first time I ever went to Israel. Um, and it was uh, for me, it was a blessing that. Um, Yahweh had opened the doorway through Avi ben Mordecai, who was at that time uh, hosting the tour. And uh, I, I didn't know anybody. And I certainly didn't know. Uh, once I got there, Avi said, oh, yeah, we got this guy that's also from Ontario, uh, Joe Dumont. And I had no clue who you were, despite the fact that we only live an hour apart. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that was that was. Uh, pretty much most of it and, and it was just meeting the people from all over that was an incredible trip so that can, one was so I can blame Avi for introducing us then yeah although I think he's still pretty much in denial about a lot of things so <laughs> <laughs> so before we met I think you told me I want, I want the people to know your background a little bit um, you used to be in the Canadian Armed Forces yes and you, I, I was I was in the military uh, for a short for a short period, but I've also worked um, technology for them four different contracts as a civilian contractor in the military. So uh, I'm very familiar with the way they do things, which is scary. But uh, yeah, so I was in the military, and I basically I've been bouncing around technology since 1985. That's how long I've been doing this stuff. Wow. Okay. You also told me one time you were the um, the bodyguard for a certain Saudi diplomat. <laughs> no, the diplomat, uh, king of Saudi Arabia. Actually, no, it wasn't king. It wasn't the king. I I didn't meet him while I was there. Again, that was another 
uh, one of those those times when Yahweh opened up the doorway. Um, he gave me an opportunity, and it literally happened overnight. Like literally within two days, I had the job interview, and two days later, I was on a plane heading to Cairo, and I my job the very first day was to guard a door that only the cooks brought food up in. And I so I stood in this hallway that was only about three feet wide. So I got to watch the cockroaches crawl up the wall on the other side for me, which was pretty gross considering the people that I was guarding. Um, but again, Yahweh intervened, and within 48 hours, uh, second shift, I got promoted and was pushed up to being the bodyguard for the Queen of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And that's where I stayed. Yeah. Very good. Within such a short time. And nobody, they told me that nobody has ever gone up the ranks that fast ever in all the years that there have been people there. So. So now you were also in Australia for a while, and this is going to lead up to what we're going to talk to next. But you were in Australia, and in Australia, you were. How did you get involved in religion? How did you get involved with the studying the Bible? Because I think it had to do with Australia. Is that right? No, it didn't actually, no. No. Um, I got involved with the Bible, actually, or just with Yahweh uh, now, because uh, the now present Mrs. Ralph is... Uh, was a believer her whole life and I wasn't and so when I met her um, she had some different perspectives on things that I was totally aware of and as growing up as a kid I was not allowed to to go to church I think I went once as a little kid and and then my father said no you're not going to church and wasting Sunday morning you're going to come and work at the garage and pump gas so Again, that was my whole experience with, with going to church up to that point. So when I met my wife, she used to go to the Pentecostals assemblies. And, not uh, Pentecostal. Started, you guys aren't Pentecostal, are you? No, we're not. We're not. That's what she was, and that's what we were, but we're not anymore. Okay. Um, we don't go under titles anymore. Um, anyway, so it was probably a year or more, and... Uh, time came when I proposed to her, and she basically said no. <laughs> it was just like, wow, that was fast. And it basically came down to the fact she said that I can't marry outside of my faith. That's what the Bible says, and I'm not going to do it. And she said the only way I would marry you is if you got saved. And I basically, in a nutshell, I said, okay, where do I sign up? And that was it. I, I mean, I said the prayer of salvation. I talked with her brother several times, talked to their pastor, got saved, started reading my Bible, and it's just been going on ever since. So I think it's close to 32 years now. How long? 32 years. Wow. Yeah. So how did you end up in Australia? Right. Uh, I've been there twice. Um, Without getting into once, too many specific details, because you told me the details before, and I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to get into those. No. Yeah, I don't want to get into those. I Basically, I, I got invited to go to Australia the first time 
Um, when was this? This is going back 15 years. Okay, uh, 15, you know, 15. So 2001? Yeah, somewhere in that area, yeah. Uh, I got invited. I was working with a, or actually volunteering with a, uh, a man down in the States and working on building him an online school for his ministry and stuff. And uh, I was working the cameras and doing editing for him and all of that stuff. And uh, he had a planned trip to go down to uh, northern Australia uh, to um, – I'm just trying to think of the name. It's, it's northern uh, the, uh, the, the Gold Coast. Anyways, and he was going down there to speak for two weeks at a conference. And he asked me if I would like to go because he needed an extra cameraman to help record everything and film the whole works and stuff. And, and I said, sure, I would go. And I felt like it was the right thing to do. Circumstances leading up to that time, uh, prayers answered, just everything just kind of fell into place. And that was my first experience with uh, Australia. I was there for two weeks. Is this the time that you were? Is this the time that you were asked to speak? No, no. The first time I went down there, I didn't do any talking at all. I basically hid behind the camera at the back of the room. I, I mean, I talked to other people, but I didn't. I, I wasn't doing any teaching. It was only that one of the gentlemen that I met down there, a gentleman by the name of Bradley Hay, who's now passed on. Uh, was a very dear friend of mine and uh, I got to know him like I've never known anybody in my life and it was definitely preordained that we sit and talk and and get to know each other and he knew things about me that only Yahweh could reveal to him and it just that kind of freaked me out because that was my first real experience of something like that happening so like I said I was there for two weeks the first time and after uh you know, we said our goodbyes and we all flew back home thinking, okay, that's going to be the end of it. And I think it was within a couple of days after I'd got back home that I received another phone call from Brad saying, I want you to come back to Australia. Can you come down for six months? And I said to him, what am I going to do for six months? He goes, well, I'm going to set up a conference down here in Adelaide in Southern Australia. And I want you to teach at, you're the guest speaker from Canada. And uh, that was actually scary and shocking all at once because I, one, I just got back home and was getting things sorted with my wife and my son and, and just getting used to be back home. And then all of a sudden it's like, wham, now you're heading back up the door again. It's like, wow. Like, it's, things are moving pretty fast. So, again, more prayer. And I, again, I said the only way that I would be able to come because he knew I didn't have any money was if Yahweh opened the doorways. And literally within 24 hours, all of the money came through different people for the exact amount for the plane ticket for me to go down. And uh, I literally, uh, the, the, the plane ticket money came, the opening for the seat on the plane showed up literally all at the same time. Totally amazing stuff. Now on the second trip, there's a certain person that you came to become friends with. Is that not right? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, uh, Brad, uh, which I had met the first trip, uh, 
I stayed with them for two months. That was like the time that I stayed down there. And we traveled literally all across the south and up the west coast or the east coast of uh, Australia, teaching in different areas and stuff like that. And it was truly a life-changing experience for me. Did you not meet Telesford down there? I did. Um, On this trip? Yes, it actually was in that trip. Uh, We were... I was working with Brad when I wasn't teaching, and Brad had a tree root removal system and landscaping and stuff, so just to help him out. Um, And he received a phone call from somebody else that he knew. Brad was very influential and knew quite a few people. And he gets this phone call one day saying that this entourage from Africa with the future prime minister of uh, Burundi wanted to come and meet with him personally uh, because Brad used to make his own biodiesel for all of his own equipment and vehicles and tractors and stuff like that. And they wanted to know because Burundi has a fuel shortage. They have to import everything. They still do it even to this day. And so uh, of course he said, sure, why not? You know, I mean, I'm not going to get all dressed up. I've got work to do and and we were all covered in biodiesel and <laughs> dirt and mud and everything else working around the yard and stuff. And sure enough, up pours these two limousines and out gets this future prime minister of Burundi and his entourage. And one of those people was uh, Bishop Teleswar from Africa. And never met the man. He just seemed to me a very quiet and humble man. I mean, he's smaller than I am. I think Telesform would be about 5'6 or something like that. I'm 6'1", so... Um, but he's, there was something about him that just kind of stood out. In, he didn't announce it or anything like that. He was just, how are you? And, and then he stayed by the wayside. Well, that night after uh, Brad showed the entourage around and how they made the biodiesel and all this other kind of stuff... They said, we're having a big family or a big meeting. Somebody's putting something on for them, and they invited us to go to it that that evening. And it was at that meeting that when I went in there, uh, there was a really foreign spirit about the whole place, something that did not feel right. I felt it the minute I walked in the door. Brad felt it. Alice's wife felt it. It was just dark and I just told him I said look at I can't I can't go in there I can't be part of that I said if it's okay with you I'll sit out here on the porch and I said I'll just wait you guys go and do your hellos and goodbyes and whatever you want to do but I said I'm going to sit out here take your time don't worry about me and within five minutes tell us where we're walking out the door and he sat down beside me and for the next hour him and I had an amazing opportunity to get to know each other and stuff. And that was the very first time that I got to, I guess you could say, witness to a bishop of Africa about the Torah. And this and is 2000, never heard it. 2001. Yeah, he, around 2002, there, yeah. yeah. And then after that, did you guys see each other very often or what? Actually, no. Um, after we spent about 15 minutes sitting down talking to him about the festivals and kosher and that kind of stuff about Torah, which I was still relatively new on. And how did he um, react to that? 
at that time. Actually, his, his eyes lit right up. He, it was like he couldn't get enough of it. He'd never heard any of that stuff because in in uh, Burundi, uh, they had been had a lot of different congregation missionaries come over there of Catholic and uh, other denominations and stuff, and they only taught New Testament stuff. As a matter of fact, there was no such thing as people walking around with a complete Bible over there. It was just a foreign thing. So um, to have somebody coming and tell him that that's wrong and that they're basically all condemned if they only follow the New Testament was completely foreign. And and, and he, he just sat there like a sponge soaking up everything. It was amazing. Uh, so he invited me back. He said, can you come to Africa? Uh, and I told him my scenario. I said, the only way I'd be able to go to Africa is if Yahweh opens up the doorway. And that's, this that's, is, again, that's this it. is 2001 or 2002 that this has taken place, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Um, but he wanted me to come back for a full year. He said, we need to get this message out. And he said, you're the only one I know who's got who's going to tell me the truth. He said, everybody else has been t- telling me the lies. And I said, okay. So I, I basically, I said, let's pray about it. And uh, if it's Yahweh's will that, that I go over there, I said, I'm my heart is willing. But I said, I don't know if it's the right time. So we'll leave it. And we basically, we stayed in touch ever since. And I built them a website. I sent them material for to learn about Torah and everything like that for the last 15, 16 years, whatever it's been. Um, we have been constantly in communication. But there's a big but there because he, he never really did anything with it, right? Yeah, well, we never found that out really until... Well, hang on. Don't I jump ahead of the story there. here now. Okay, so. Well, that's that's the only way you could know, though. <laughs> okay, so after this, you come back from Australia in whatever year that was. What did you do? You, did you continue teaching religion, or what did you do? No. Um, no, because I, I, one of the things that I realized when I was down in Australia, again, Australia, what I find is that wherever Yahweh takes me on the, around the globe— it's not always just for me to to be the big preacher. And if it, Australia ever taught me anything, it was for teaching purposes. And I can tell you without a fact that both times to Australia, Cairo, and uh, well, even in Israel, um, all of those I had really hard lessons that I had to learn. And, and I needed humbling and I needed my spirit checked and I needed things, lessons that I had to learn and some of them were excruciating um, so every time that Yahweh has taken me someplace foreign I've had to learn huge lessons, not only about myself but about my place, my position where where I sit, where I stand, what I know what I don't know and it's taught me to well, you know me. You've known me for all these years. You know that I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. And okay. that's so one of the huge lessons that I learned. Yes, and I do know that about you. So but now let's come fast forward because uh, we're going to try and keep this within our time limit, and I doubt we will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know me. When, yeah. when you met me and you told me you didn't want anything to do with religion at that time, 
how did we get, how did you and I get together? And then the next question is going to be, why, why did you stay? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I spent, <clears throat> as, as a believer and, and also because of who I am, I have always tried to, uh, once I started studying scripture and, and seeing what the characteristics of Yahweh are, I don't think that it's it's right that a man of God always just takes, 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 takes. So I always try to give back. Sometimes I get something for it. A lot of times I don't. And over the 30 years that I've been doing web stuff, technology, I've probably done more sites for free to give back to help other people. When you and I met, uh, I think on the boat was probably the first time when we were on the Sea of Galilee was probably the first time that we actually talked because the rest of the time you're busy with other people answering questions about your book, The Prophecies of Abraham. And uh, so I never really stuck my nose too much. And that's, again, that's just the way I am. So when we have, we're on the boat, we're kind of isolated. We can't really go too far. And it's like, okay, well, who else can I go and talk to and get to know? And I saw you, and it was like, oh, so you're the guy from Orangeville type thing. Uh, the only thing I and could do you, is try and walk in the water and try to get away from you at that time, but I didn't have enough faith to walk in the water. <laughs> you still don't. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is, is at that time, you started telling me about your website and what you were trying to do and and again, I wasn't working on anything at the time, and I feel like this is this is part of what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, as much as it stresses me sometimes, as much as it frustrates me sometimes, I have to do it. I have to give it back. Okay, but so why, sometimes I, I. Why did you stay with me? Like the, the thing I'm getting at is what Tony. She put a test out there, and very first time that I actually got to know both of you, there was a test out there. It scared me to death. <laughs> it still scares me. But she does that. I know. <laughs> so, why did you stay? They, there's a lot of people that come along. They they come and they help, and they after a while they disappear and they move on. Um, yeah. And it's sort of like this is a transitory help station here for a little bit why have you why have you stayed i'll be honest with you through my years um because i haven't always got all right let me put it this way tony and i were in the church system and i say church system because we weren't always with the pentecostal we were charismatic and, and messianic and all this other kind of stuff and that's why i call the church system but when I left the systems, I kept looking for teachers. I kept asking Yahweh, send me somebody who can take me to the next level. Send me somebody who can who can teach me and mentor me and train me up to the next level. There's something more I need to know, and I obviously don't have the skills to be able to do it myself. So according to your word, the disciples are brought in or people are, you know, this is the way that it works in Scripture. So why does it not work in life? I've had quite a few mentors some amazing people who have come into my life for shortened periods. I call them seasons and they have taught me things 
And it hasn't always just been about scripture. Sometimes it's about character. Sometimes it's about enduring and staying put and life skills and stuff like that. And when I met with you, there was, I guess there was something about you and the way that we kind of hit it off, kind of like the way I did with Brad when I was in Australia. My uh, dynamic it was personality, just, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, there was something there. And I felt like it was Yahweh saying, okay, I want you to stay here. And I want you to stay doing this for now. And I, I, I fully look at it. Every time something happens, I go, okay, how long? He, he never really tells me. He just to stay. And if he tells me stay, then I stay. And up till this point, he hasn't told me anywhere else to go. Okay. I don't doubt, honestly, I don't doubt that the, the day's going to come that you and I may split paths. <sighs> and we'll do it in good terms, but it may happen. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's move on from that happy subject. And uh, <laughs> I want you to tell them about what happened when you sent Tell Us for the books. And then and bring go from there up until uh, the trip there last year. You mean sent on the books? The when you sent tell us for the books. Your books? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we, you know, obviously, I mean, you you gave me a set of books, the uh, prophecies of Abraham and the 2016 and the the 2300 days of hell, uh, and I think you also gave me the blood moose to send to him. So I, I mailed those all out and I sent them down to him, and I asked him to read them. Uh, because conversing back and forth via the email and stuff like that, I was beginning to pick up on the sense of the fact he wasn't practicing what I'd been trying to teach him all those years. Now, I don't know whether or not it was just a matter of, of that he didn't have somebody to walk beside him to keep him in line. I don't know. But he hadn't. So anyways, I gave him, sent him the books. He phoned me and told me that he'd received them, and he started to read them. And he kept sending me back questions about the books and about the festivals and about the sabbatical year and about the dietary laws. And he was actually starting to indulge and eat of the word of the bread of, of life, which is amazing and, and what I wanted to hear. So by the time uh, our arrangement uh, and we felt again, you and I and Jim had figured that it was about the right time for somebody to go down to Africa. Um, and I felt after all these years, it was finally the time for me to go. So with his blessing, I went down there. And what I had found is that not only had Telesphore read all of the books, but he had several elders and, and deacons and stuff like that who had also read the books and were just ecstatic about what was um, what was being said. So the interesting part was, and I got to tell you this because I thought it was so funny when he told me, the one time that I get to meet Telesphore's wife, actually I remember a few times, but the first time that I got to meet Telesphore, uh, this wonderful wife, Lane, we were sitting at a beach having a bottle of water and just discussing Torah with Pastor Souza from uh, Kenya. And his wife comes along and she doesn't speak English. So Tellsford tells me the story of the first time that he came home from Australia 
and talked about this white man that he'd had a meeting with. And he tells the story that him and I sat down on the porch and I talked to him about Torah and told him that if he didn't start teaching Torah that they were all going to go to hell and it would be his responsibility as the leader in Burundi that the blood of all those people that he's been falsely teaching would be on his head and he would be judged for that. And I looked over at his wife at that time and she just had this big smile on her face and she spoke something to him in um, Kirundi, which is their native tongue there. And he said, oh yeah. And he said, I told her this and she said, it's about time this man that God has sent you has told you to keep the Torah. She goes, because you won't listen to me. So you had better do what he says. Otherwise, you're in trouble. And so I thought, I'm sitting there going like, really? <laughs> and that was after 2001 when he came back from Australia. And the funny thing is he didn't. He didn't until he sent him your books and until I went down there and got the opportunity to speak with them face to face. Him and his elders and the deacons and so now, the other pastors. Now, tell everyone now what has happened with Telesphore a little bit. And uh, just to finish that story up, tell what, what Telesphore is now doing and and the number of pastors he's now got training. Yeah, wow. It's, it's amazing. Um, over the years, I mean, when I first talked to him in Australia, he told me that he had, like, I don't know, uh, about 60 churches that he had established throughout Burundi and when we were down there and even since we've come uh, I've come back he now has over 226 pastors and well over 120 churches that he has set up all around Burundi uh, but not they only have a, not only set up he's now teaching them teaching them Torah oh, absolutely. so that yeah. they teach yeah. their congregations well what he's doing is he's using the, the basically the system that Moses had set up and, and uh, Moses had – it was too much for Moses to take on, and it's very much too much for Telesphore to have to take on and, and deal with on a daily basis. So he has set up a core group of about 20 pastors that have been around him long enough for more than 10 to 15 years. And he knows these men. He knows their walk. He knows their heart. He knows their, their, their passion for, for teaching and for the truth. So he has been training these people up, and then they go out and they teach other pastors, and then those pastors go out and teach other pastors, and he's built up a system of accountability. And they go out to each church no less than, I think it's two or three, four times a month. They make the rounds, and they keep going around to all these churches and teaching and making sure that everything is still according to what teaching the Scripture is. It's just phenomenal that he's expanding. He's now going into Kenya. He's now going into uh, Rwanda, the uh, Uganda, yeah, Congo, and uh, Congo. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's phenomenal how much it's it's growing down there right now. And he, I think he sent out the letters to the kings as well. So we should be hearing something back from them pretty soon. Yeah. Okay. Explain that. Don't just say it like that. What he's actually addressing the heads of state now. 
Yes. Yeah, well, he's – well, I mean you contacted or been contacted by a couple of them, and uh, he, he, of course, being the bishop, which is the highest position in the country, told me the story of how he became a bishop, and I won't go into that right now, but uh, it's pretty phenomenal the things that this man has gone through and, and done. But he is now like the head bishop, and he literally walks into the government offices and everybody stops and pays attention to him. And it's kind of freaky to see that. You know, yeah. there's a lot of respect there for him, and it doesn't matter where we went in the city; everybody recognizes him as as this man of God. So, okay, we've, it's we've, nice to see. we're we're going to start to wrap this up now, James. And uh, but I want to. You've now helped. Well, we've wanted to do radio podcast now for a little while. But I was always afraid of it technology-wise, but you've now got it set up so that I can do this in just a couple clicks of the mouse. Even this interview, I'm setting it up. So I'm quite yeah. <laughs> quite pleased with that. And I know you're laughing. I know. Miracle, miracles will never stop. I mean, it's just <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> Okay. No, so, I'm glad we got. I'm glad we got this set up because I mean, again, this is the this is the whole point to be able to to have teachings like this, but also the podcast as something more than just being able to read. Okay, but there's there's what I'm getting at is there's something on your heart that you want to do, and you're going to start. And the reason I brought you on today is because I want to introduce you to the audience, so they know who right. you are, they know your background, they know our relationship. Because you want to start teaching uh, some things as well. Tell, tell us about that. Well, I guess when I, I – I've always <laughs> – right, I'll, I'll just make this really quick. Um, within the first year that I, be, I, I got saved way back in, uh, in the 80s, um, I had a vision. Literally, there was a, a, a missionary that came over from Africa – to uh, our local church at the time. And it was when we were sitting in the congregation, we were sitting there and listening to this man. And at that one point, something inside of me clicked, and I knew that I would be teaching someday. I knew that someday I was going to be teaching the, the, the Bible. And I had a lot of obstacles over the years. Everybody says, oh, you got to do it this way, you got to do it that way. And it just didn't feel right. So I have waited. I have bided my time. I have learned. I have studied. I've done what I can with what Yahweh has given me. And when I went to Australia, I got to teach for the first time. And it scared the bejeebies out of me because it was the first time I got up in front of anybody. But I got used to it. When I went to Africa, I did it again. And it was phenomenal, the response. Uh, to well, be okay, able well, to... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was the response? Why was that so phenomenal? This is the last year when you went there... Uh, yeah, just it's what, cool. what was the response? Why was that so phenomenal? It was. Do you ever feel like when you're when you're you do certain things, it just it's it's like an old an old shirt. It just feels so perfect on you. It, it, it's not that uncomfortableness or you know. It feels like you belong that this is what you were made for. There's a type of peace, a shalom that comes over you, that when you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, you know it. It doesn't always, it doesn't last forever, but it when, it, when you finally do it, you know it. And that's what it felt like when I was in Africa. 
And so, okay, so what is that? Is it is it explaining the Torah to these people so that they can understand it? Is it uh, making it, um, simplifying it? What it is? Wow. Yeah, I've always had I've always had the uh, ability over the years of and maybe it's because of the technology. But one of the things I've always learned in technology is that most people can understand technology. So you have to be able to find a way to dumb things down. Thanks a lot, James. To be to be able to communicate, <laughs> and you got to be able to find the terminology to be able to make it easy for people to comprehend. Well, I've been doing that my whole life making the complex simple. And you always given me the ability to do that even with the Torah. And I find that when I was in Africa, I had written all these different presentations and stuff like that. I think I had 15 of them all set up. I was supposed to teach for seven days straight and it was going to be going hectic, hectic, hectic. And then one night I went to sleep and you always said, I want you to throw out everything you've just done. <laughs> just like what <laughs> but I said okay what do you want me to teach and I wrote nine more presentations that were completely different I I mean I had no clue that I was going to be talking about these things and it freaked me out I remember the you material going through was, that because you were talking to me at the time I remember how stressed you were trying to do this and but I also know, oh, yeah. I also know that when you said that you had to do that I also understood why and yeah. the reason why was because None of these people had the Old Testament. They were only going yeah. by the New Testament. Well, when you talk to these people and you, you stand in a room full of about 100 people, and, you, of course, everything had to be interpreted through interpreter, which is fine. But when you stand there and you turn around and you say to them, how many of you have heard of the word Torah? And nobody moves. And you say, what about Moses? And nobody moves. And I'm kind of going, well, that's kind of strange because Moses even mentioned in the New Testament. How is it you don't even know Moses? You know, but they didn't. And it was then that I understood why he had asked me to rewrite everything and to come up with these different teachings, which I, uh, I did. And it was a phenomenal experience, not only for me, but to be able to write these things out and to, to uh, study them out. But I found that when I got up in front of the people, and I just kind of found my spot and I said, okay, Yahweh, let's talk to these people. And we, the, it was like the spirit just kind of came in and took over the meetings. And I was able to, through me, which I was so grateful for, but through me, Yahweh opened up their eyes. And it was just like seeing all these lights coming on in the whole room as they're they're scrambling to write every word down that I was saying through the translator. I mean, I've never seen people write so much in my life. Every meeting they were scrambling. Oh, I got to write this down. I got to write this down. I got to write this down. And then they had a million questions after. It was exciting and and kind of sad at the same time because they've been so misled all these years. And the country is in such a mess. And it's like, now you get it. Now you know why. Because none of you are even on track. Yeah. And not passing judgment. But it's just like you see the the corruption that's been set in place. So and now, to be able to go in there and to clear that away is a phenomenal experience. So now you wanna, you're want you going to start doing podcasts. You're going to start teaching some lessons. Who's your who, who are you aiming for? Who's your audience here? 
Well, um, because like well, you I've said, got, you said something to me, like yeah, because like I tend to take the small and make it into a the the big, and go go to a bigger size, uh, you know, with the jubilee cycles and the sabbatical cycles and trying to fit everything into that. But you're gonna you're gonna go the other way. You're gonna make it smaller and more digestible. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's really smaller. It's more going to be simplified. Well, that's um, yeah, I mean, I'm writing a, a study right or doing a study right now. I should have it. I should have it done uh, this week, but it's just on the leaven because we got Passover coming up and the misinterpretation of what leaven is over the years, even even for me. Um, and and going back to the script and going, okay, what really is this, and how do we identify with it? But some of the other stuff that I want to talk about is just. It's like a an introduction to Torah from somebody who's brand new to somebody who's experienced. And what is that journey like? And the different things that you're going to have to know about or the different things that you will come across. How do you relate to it? How do you deal with it? Uh, you know, when I first came into the came into it, you know, you get all the the attacks from the other people, people who are so called your brothers and sisters and stuff like that in the faith, and it, it was hard to go through. And I know that, and so what I want to do is I want to take that and I want to turn that into a small series uh, about basic fundamentals. What is it that somebody goes through on this journey? What can they expect and what do they have to know and how are they going to know it? I mean, if I would had this little roadmap, it would have made this journey so much easier because it's like, okay, I know this is coming. I can prepare myself for it as best I can. I can be praying about it. I can be studying the word. And, and that in itself, what do I study? What don't I study? How do I study it? How do I look at the word? And that kind of thing. That's kind of the, the area that I'm going for. It's not always the... Uh, the beginner, although that seems to be my my forte when it comes to this stuff, but it's not only just the beginner, but I'm hoping that people who've even been on the journey will turn around and go, wow, I didn't really think about that, or I've never thought about that. Mm-hmm. All I really want to do is have people finish listening to it and go, I never considered that before. You know, and I'm not looking for big arguments like you get all the time. I'm not looking for people slamming me and stuff like that. It may happen, but the reality is, is I'm just not interested in that. I'm interested in teaching for those that want to learn and and just listen. Okay. So. So then the I guess this would be my last question, unless I got another one after that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be my next to last question. Uh, when are you going back to Africa? Uh, well, <clears throat> we talked about that earlier, and I'll be honest with you, um, I, I think if I were to, to put it in a nutshell, they, we need to get down there this year. We seriously need to. What I taught on when, <clears throat> when we were in, or when I was in Australia or Africa, is I taught them some super foundational things, just like really, really basic stuff. And they have been taking that, and they have been teaching it, and they have been studying it out. I know that by the emails that I'm receiving, the questions that I receive, which is fantastic. It's great. But I also see a huge gap that says, okay, what do I do next? Yeah. And that's that's what has to happen. It's like, okay, we, we're going to give you a bit of food. 
I want to see what you're going to do with it. Even the, the parable of the talents. Here's the talent. Let's see what you do with it. And they've been taking it and investing it in other people, and it's growing. So that parable but now, about, sorry, go ahead. But, but now they need to say, okay, what else can we invest in? You know, so they, they need to move on from that stage and, and they need to be taught more in depth some of the subjects that they've already been learning. So basically what I was going to say is that the fields are already ripe. We need more laborers to help with the harvest. Yeah. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is my friend. Not just my tech guy, not just my, um, yeah, whatever I call him. It's a lot of different names are what I get mad. <laughs> and that's my... okay, folks, because we've come to know each other enough that uh, I, I think, you know, if it were to come down and say, if we love each other as oh, a brother. Don't get mushy. No, don't do that. Yeah, I'm not getting mushy. No, you know, there's a, there's a difference between knowing somebody and really knowing somebody. And I've come to know Joe. So we call each other all kinds of things, and that's okay because it's all done in the right spirit. So it's not anyway, a big issue. Brethren, I wanted you to, to meet James because I've talked about him a couple times, and uh, I mentioned him, and we talked about him going to Africa there last year. And we talked about that again today. Uh, but to do what we're trying to do, you know, Africa is one country that we're trying to work with. Uh we're also working with brethren down in the Philippines. Um, you know, they, they, none of these people belong to sightedmoon.com. None of them are under my authority. But we're all working side by side, trying to do the job of teaching Torah to other people so that they can you learn. You know, it's, it's the, the thing that is, is that we're all on the same journey. Yeah. And that's the thing. We all have the same goal. We're all on the same journey. We're learning from each other. We're supporting each other. And we're walking with each other instead of fighting and bickering and, and trying to take out somebody for the leadership or the power or whatever like that. This is this is why this portion of this part is so amazing is to to actually experience what that feels like is a phenomenal thing. So we're going to close out now. I do want you to keep us in mind. Keep us in your prayers. This is the stuff that we're trying to do. And you've heard it from James, and him and I talk lots of times, about four or five times a week sometimes. We need your help. We need your help in order to make this all come about. So do keep us in your prayers. James, do you want to close out in prayer, or am I putting you on the spot, or do you want me to close out with a prayer? Yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do it. Um, yeah. Our Father, Jehovah. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity of the people I've been able to meet, people like James, people that you've set up years ago, that you've orchestrated this stuff years ago between James and Telesphore, and now here we are teaching toward to that part of Africa, the heart of Africa, and it's expanding. Well, we, we don't know how fast it is, it is expanding, but it is. So, Father, we pray that you continue to open the eyes of all those that are listening, all those that have not yet heard the truth, that you call them, that we're able to reach more, that we have more workers to help do this, that we have more support, because it does cost money to, to go to Africa, and it does cost money to stay there, same in the Philippines, the same in China. We just pray that you be with us and continue to support us, and we ask you to send more help, send more teachers that can help do this work, and open our eyes to your truths. 
And we ask this for the glory of your great name. In the name of Jehovah, we pray. Amen. Shalom, brethren. Amen. Shalom. Shalom.